Well, what that does for me, it makes me excited about, and that's, I want to live too, men. Thank you for directing us. I have a couple of special things to say before we get into God's Word. I really love Darren Hughes. Do you realize the gift that God gave us when He blessed us with this family? I'm so thankful for everything that you do, and I may not need that, but if I do, then I can always pull it around. Thank you, brother. Allison Schilt and Zachary Jacobs are sitting right there. I want you guys to stand just for a moment. I want to announce their engagement. And if we have a camera that can get a shot of this ring, I want you to see it. Hold it up there. You know, we ought to celebrate, I think, when Christian young people love God. He was at our men's meeting yesterday. And they find each other and they love each other. Let's thank the Lord for this this morning. Wonderful. Congratulations. And uh, then, I don't know if you recognize that today marks one year here on the field with us, Pastor Cameron and, uh, and, and guys, but I want you to know that uh, we are very grateful. Do we have a gift for them? Uh, Darren, will you step down so they don't have to come all the way up? Um, we won't go through the whole story. You'll get to hear some more of that a little bit later, but, um, but guys... We have a little something for you, and Sister Lynn, we have a little something for you. You know, in thinking about the future of our church and the future being as bright as the, as the past has been and so much more, uh, we prayed and we fasted, and we listened for God. And we said, Lord, what do you want? It's not so important what we want. We want you, what you want. And through prayer and fasting, God began one by one to speak through the people in this church and through circumstances, that who he wanted to lead us into the future was the Cloud family. And uh, I, it was affirmed by our staff unanimously. It was affirmed by our deacons unanimously. And then a 95% vote of the church said, we're convinced that God has you here. Pastor, I will say in a, in a full year's time that I've not heard one statement otherwise uh, the people here are convinced that God brought you here. And I am so thankful. We celebrate you and Lynn and Will and Dylan today. And we thank Jesus for bringing you here. Let's thank the Lord for a, a great first year of ministry. We could say so much more, but they're kind of, uh, they prefer us doing it low key. We do so this morning and welcome to our friends. We were here this morning too. Take your Bibles to John chapter 4, John 4, and I'm so glad to see all of you and those that are viewing at home or will view this at a later time. I want to make a couple statements before I start because this is a, one of those life messages that you, uh, you preach at different junctures of your, of your ministry and your life. And uh, I want to say that the purpose of my message this morning is not to offend anyone not to shock you or um, to hurt anybody at all. Um, it's merely to share my journey and to share God's Word regarding what it means to love all of our neighbors. I didn't ask Pastor Darren to uh, put together a, a, a music package um, for today, but I could not have asked for anything any sweeter to prepare our hearts to be open to God's Word. What I'm going to ask you to do today is really just hear God. And uh, it's so hard because I'm 60 years old. For 60 years, I've been looking through a, 
a lens. It wasn't necessarily the way the world was, but it's the way I saw it. It's called a paradigm. And what happens is when we, when we look through that lens, we see things pretty much based on the way we grew up, what we heard, what we experienced. And as a result of that, uh, sometimes in this broken world, we, uh, we hurt people. More importantly, we hurt God. And uh, I'm embarrassed. Uh, I've already been exhorted by some of you. Um, there have been some people that have really misunderstood some of my uh, heart and comments, which I respect that. There have been some that have been so sweet, they don't like to see me uh, being hurt or broken. But the truth is, the way to revival, the way to God being pleased with us, the way up is down. Have you ever discovered that? Do you don't you descend into blessings? You don't you don't climb toward the blessings. You humble yourself before God. I seem to remember a passage about that. He that that humbles himself will be exalted, and those that exalt themselves will be abased or humbled. And so I'm in one of those seasons of my life, and it's a it's an uh, agonizing season, but an amazing season at the same time. And I want to challenge you to never get to the place where you think. You've got it all covered, and that you've got all the answers, and that your way of thinking is the right way, because when you ever get to that place, you've stopped. You've stopped growing. You've stopped getting closer to Jesus. This week, I was uh, really struggling with this whole subject matter, if you all know the truth. In fact, not just this week, but for, for a long time. And so I was praying, and, and I was overwhelmed, because I knew that some of the things that God was changing me about was going to be offensive to some of our people, but I believed it was a good offensive, making us think about what the Bible actually says and what's best. But then I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to offend anybody. And um, being a prophet, um, it's hard for me to say things sometimes in a soft way. Um, Elijah and, and some of those guys were really kind of tough when they said things, and I, I want to present this in a way that would uh, help us to really know the heart of some of us who are walking through moments of challenge. I want to preach for a few minutes on crossing the racial divide, the confessions of a white Christian. Will you join me in prayer? Father, I need your help this morning. Uh, Seated before me are people that I love, white people and black people and brown people. People with have every kind of background you can imagine. Some have faced pain in their past. Some are presently in the middle of challenges. Our nation is divided, hurting. Lord, there are people that will view this. Some will misunderstand motives very very possibly. But Lord, I'm asking you that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would so put a guard on my mouth and my mind and my heart that only those things that would be pleasing in your sight would be shared. And I pray, Lord, that we would sense the presence of God We already do, Lord, from the beginning till the end. Have your way, I pray. Change us, Lord, to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Still trying to get past that little boy, those two little boys running to each other at the end of that video and grabbing each other. I think on Tuesday when I come in for the interview, I'm going to tell the I'm going to run and grab him. I, I've never he's not much of a he's really professional and all, but I think I'm going to grab him. Don't tell him. Don't tell him. He'll he'll be running from me. I was sitting in prayer um, this week, and I was overwhelmed by this subject. 
I, I don't want to do anything that would be offensive to anybody. And, and I was praying and listening for God, and all the while I could sense myself. You know what I'm talking about when I say getting overwhelmed, knowing I was going to stand in this moment, knowing I was going to sit again with uh, Bishop Hinton and do those interviews and try to face things in my past and all that. And I was overwhelmed. And right in the middle of that, I get a text. I'm not sure he's ever texted me before. And I shouldn't say his name, but he's not here now. But this is a recording, so I won't say his name. But he's a sweet young man in this church with a wife and a couple kids. And out of the blue, he text, He sent me a Facebook messenger of a song. And it was like uh, the Lord was saying, I want you to look at that. You know, I don't always interrupt my prayer time for texts and, and all that, but I, I, I brought it up, made it large, and it was, a pic, it was a, an older woman. And it looks like she just stepped right out of the kitchen. You know, she had her house coat on, probably a little flower here and there. She had a daughter and a granddaughter, I believe, or two daughters or granddaughters behind her. It was as country, as some of y'all remember the Henderson girls coming here years ago, it was as country as cornbread. And, and I pushed that button. It was one of the sweetest things that's happened to me in weeks. And the song was, I'm going to leave it all behind. Some happy day. Boy, I felt something happening in my heart. Terry knew I was heavy. She heard me in there. And I was crying one minute, shouting the next. I mean, I was having a, myself a spell right in that bedroom, knowing that God had in mind that moment, that word of encouragement for me, just to remind us. Did you know, how many of you know, get ready to affirm this one way or the other, that this world is not our eternal home? You know, this is just getting us ready for heaven. And there's a lot of things that we need to do in preparation as, as it relates to loving each other. And that's, that's all it took for me. I was so blessed. And, and then in the middle of that time of prayer, I said, Lord, uh, I've just I buried this subject. I've hid it. Everything I experienced as a child and carried over into my, my adulthood and, and all, I've, I've really not dealt with this. And, and, Lord, I'm embarrassed that I'm 60 years old. I've been a pastor all these years. I'm about to retire. And I'm just now dealing with this. Lord, I'm so ashamed. And you wouldn't believe, the, you know, I always, there's one name of God that I spend time worshiping every morning. I pick out one different name. I ask the Lord, show me one name. And you know what jumped in my heart that morning? I'm not sure if I'm saying it right, but one of the names of God, one of the Jehovah names is Jehovah Makedish. Anybody in this room know what that means? It means the Lord who sanctifies. It was like he sent me a private message to say, hey, you think I'm finished with you? You're a work in progress. Don't ever think, don't get so proud as to think I'm not tweaking you and working in you and ripping things away and adding things to you. And I thought, every time anybody criticizes me, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that name to them. I'm going to remind them if we ever get to the point, if you ever get to the place where you can't hear God, you're not willing to be adjusted to that Bible and what God's saying to you or me, we're not right with Him. Do you agree with that or not? I mean, He's sanctifying us. You know, when He saved me, he separated me out of the darkness into the light. Yes. But how many believe he's also progressively sanctifying me every day? He's making me more like him. If you believe that, say amen. That's his work in us. And we either say yes to the master sculptor as he's trying to make us like Jesus, or we resist it. And I've resisted it long enough. So I want to... I want to talk about this. Now, this text that I'm getting ready to jump into is a gospel text. And the gospel is the greatest news in all the world. It's the news that every one of us were born depraved sinners. 
And here's news that you may not know. You're still a mess. You're still a sinner. And therefore, because of what Jesus did on that cross to redeem you, He didn't just redeem your soul. He's redeeming your life. He's giving you an opportunity to love Him and to follow Him and to honor Him. And so in this moment, I know what He's teaching here, but I saw a principle, really a, a whole series of thoughts regarding what it means to love people that are different than me. And so I want us to look at the Word of God first and read a few scriptures. Look at John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> and even though this is familiar to you, would you look at me, would you look at it carefully this morning and really try to discover what God wants to say to you? In fact, let's stop for a minute. Would you just pray this with me? Lord, speak to me this morning. I want to know your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. When therefore the Lord <clears throat> knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he, Jesus, left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he, I love these words in my translation, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave his son to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Let me stop for a moment and tell you. I think all this was by design. Not just for her, but for these disciples. They weren't ready. I'm convinced they weren't ready to love someone and connect with someone and build a relationship with someone different than them. And Hey, I may be sitting in a room with some of you that you've made up your mind. You've been a certain way for so long and you've seen things. You could tell me stories. Believe you me, for the last few weeks I've heard them all. But I'm, telling, I'm asking you to look at what God's saying. Verse 9, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, Jesus, listen to what she said. This is the first statement of prejudice, really of racism in the text. She speaks up with it. And she says, How is it that thou being a Jew askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? And listen to what she said. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus didn't lead with that. You won't find any of that in the words of Jesus or God the Father, or the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, uh, he doesn't ever bring it up. He never mentions it in the text. And then turn over, look at verse 27 with me for a minute. Jesus is involved in a long conversation with her, and when he finishes the conversation, uh, he tells her that the Father seeking such to worship him. He kind of gives her an invitation. God is a spirit. And then he reveals himself to her. I'm the, I'm the one. I'm the living water. Look at verse 27. And upon this came his disciples. Now I want you to get the picture. Pastor Cameron's got a beautiful closing word as he closes the service day about what happens here. And I never saw it. But all of a sudden, his disciples come up. And here's Jesus talking to a woman that was so marginalized. She was not, the Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. The Samaritans had nothing to do with the Jews. And Jesus is there talking, and they are freaked out about it. Look at your Bibles. And they marvel that he talked with, what are you doing talking to her? Yet no man said, now they were, they were smart enough not to say anything because Jesus would have put it on them. 
What seekest thou? They didn't say that to him. Or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Look at verse 39 now. After she goes into the city, they come out with her. All these Samaritans, I can see them running. In fact, I can see them coming about the time Jesus is teaching. And he says, look upon the fields, disciples. They're white, all ready to harvest. In my mind, in my imagination, I see people coming out of the city. As Jesus said, look at the fields. They're, they're full. Verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman. Man, revival's breaking out which testified, he told me all things that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry. Man, they fall in love with Jesus here, all because of a relationship. And he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. I'm telling you, this is awesome. Look at verse 42. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, woman, because we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Can I pray one more time? Lord, would you help me? Would you help our dear people and every person who will hear these words see this truth? In the name of Jesus, amen. Now, if you know me or have known me any length of time, there's just a few in the room that maybe haven't or, or haven't known a lot about me. You'll know that I was raised in a city, not a, a rural community, but in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Uh, that's where we lived. We lived on in Southside. And a little house that they built, I think Mother said they paid $500 for it. Um, don't you wish you had house payments? Uh, one payment, pay it all. One, just one payment in that, like that today. But we lived in that community, and I remember growing up, and I don't remember being around anybody that was black or brown. I, I mean, it was just uh, our neighborhood was our neighborhood. And then the eastern part of the city was completely African-American. And to tell you the truth, I don't remember any uh, Latin Americans at all uh, growing up, at least in that economy. But I remember first through fourth grade, I walked school. How many of you walked school? Let's see your hand. If you are, a few of you. Um, you lived close enough to the school if you were rural or you lived in a city like me if you were able to walk to school. I still remember that. Um, but there was all this confusion regarding uh, segregation. And I remember things that I wished I didn't remember. My father said some terrible things. I remember hearing gunshots and, and watching him uh, go out of the door with a, with a gun. We lived near a shopping center where there was a riot, and my dad ran out to, <clears throat> to that. And we, were, we were frightened. And, but I remember uh, that, that year, my fifth grade year, uh, we, were, we got on a bus every morning. We went to the other side of town, and we were, for the first time, uh, we were part of integration. I was in the minority for the first time. And to tell you the truth, rather than give you a terrible story about it, it was a great experience for me until everybody else got involved in it. I remember making friends. It was meant to be the end of the wrong kind of thinking for me. That was what I know that was the design. God was working in me at that point. But instead, I was making friends there and being involved. Um, I remember some fear. I remember some threats. But they were empty kids, fifth graders, good night. I mean, but the greatest threat was coming home for my daddy to find out <clears throat> that I had friends. And, um, you know, kids like to 
get together in the park or wherever else. And that was just not allowed. I remember um, it was it was getting worse and worse. And, I, and Joanna and I grew up, I was a teenager in my home church. And I, it's no reflection on any church that I attended growing up. But I, but I have to tell you the whole story. I don't blame anyone for this. I know a lot of it is just wrong thinking. But when we went visiting and we knocked on doors, Pastor Cameron, we had two kinds of, of brochures and tracts. We had the ones that had the church's name on it. And when we knocked on the door of a white family, I'm so ashamed of this. We gave them that track as we shared the gospel with them. But if we knocked on the door of someone of color, we were instructed. And see, the instruction was far more than giving a brochure. There was way more being put into me in my head that would follow me all through my life. We were instructed to give them a different track that did not have the church's name on it. I don't blame anybody but the devil for all this. I just want you to know that. I'm not casting any stones. I'm just telling you that was the world that I lived in. And uh, all of my life, sadly, every relationship that I had with anybody different than me as it relates to African-American friends or whatever was a was a... Because I, let me say again what I said on those. I never hated, since the time I got saved, when I was just a little boy, I never hated anybody. So I thought I was okay. I'm not a racist. I don't hate anybody. But we need to look a little closer to this thing. What happened was, I didn't hate. However, I didn't know how to love. I didn't know how to hear. I didn't know how to understand. I had no information about their context or world, someone different than me. And so I... Kept everybody at arm's length. <laughs> but boy, how good God has been to me by bringing me here. It took this, all those years, preaching on revival, talking about repenting of sin. And I was repenting of sin, but I never saw this as one of them. But God brought black people to this church. I would have told you, we want African Americans in our fellowship. If you asked me, I would have told you that. We care about them. We want to minister to them. But there was something keeping us from being able to, except for just a few, a few very brave ones that decided these people are worth an investment. I'm going to love them enough to stay there, even if it feels awkward for some time. And I'm going to try to love them. So... And then probably 15 years ago, Bishop Reginald Hinton, I still kept him at bay. And, and really, we didn't get real close until the last few years. But he pastors on the other end of town. We started doing things together. We started serving together. Next thing you know, we're hanging out some. And before you know it, my perspective is changing. People in this church are taking me out to dinner. They're spending time with us. And so over the last couple of years, God has been convicting me and doing a very deep work in my heart and life. Uh, you know, it, it was easy for me to make excuses. Oh, I love to make excuses as to why I didn't have a relationship. If you asked me, I'd say, well, I, I, um, I love people. I care about them that are different than me. I want to minister to them. I didn't have any slaves. That was my excuse. I, in other words, I have no responsibility in this. By the way, as I study the Bible, you know what I'm finding? 
Did you know that Daniel in the Bible took responsibility for his ancestors and repented in the Bible for the sins of the past? He's not the only one either. And did you know that Jesus took responsibility for sins of the past that he never sinned one time? He took the responsibility for all of our sins upon him. So instead of making excuses, the Lord starts putting me in a corner and showing me some things that I need to deal with. And then he brought a personal story to my heart. Listen to what he said to to my heart. Some of you know my father was a bad alcoholic, drank himself to death. Abuse in our home, a lot of conflict. And, and I didn't find out until I was a little older that my dad was in a wreck. You know, sometimes a major event will drive an addiction, make it so much worse. But my father was in an automobile with his best friend's two children, a little boy and a little girl. And he loved them so much. In those days, they didn't have, um, he, they were in the front seat. Uh, There was no back seat in the truck he was in. And they were playing, fell against the wheel. He lost control, hit something, killed the little boy and broke the neck of the little girl. Look here, my father was never the same. But the man hated him from that day till the day he died. He never forgave him. He didn't want to. I mean, it was a terrible, terrible event. If I told you that story, let me tell you how most of you, if not all of you, respond. I'll tell you what you wouldn't say. You wouldn't say, well, I'm not responsible for that. You know, I just told you about how we respond to the past and other people's history. You wouldn't say, I'm not responsible. I didn't have any slaves. You wouldn't say that. You know what? You you would empathize with me. You'd say, Pastor, I'm sorry you had to go through that. I'm sorry for your father. You would care. You would even grieve with me. That's what the response I believe God wants us to have in this moment. I can promise you right now that most of us would stand quickly against anyone today that would human traffic or would want to have and own a person. I struggle some, and I love, I'm in the farming community, and I love my farmers, but I struggle sometimes with the treatment of people who are laborers in our fields. Listen, and I don't care if you like it, Or if you don't, I'm supposed to preach this morning what God's laid on my heart. And I want to tell you, you and I are commanded to love our neighbors and to love every single one of them, even in the South. That's our responsibility. God said that. Now in this story, let's look at the word. I see Jesus modeling something that will change our lives. It's changing mine right now. He models a relationship with someone different than himself. He's teaching me how important it is to have a relationship with someone different than me. You know, I'm, I'm far from where I need to be. I, I've got, still got a long way to go, but God's changing me. By the way, be patient with me. Uh, God is taking 60 years of programming in that direction, and he's working with us on that. I, I hope, I appreciate the patience our black church family, friends, and others have had with us. I hope you will do the same thing. It's interesting, isn't it? Before I tell you this, you know the story? This woman was a Samaritan. Jesus was a Jew. She was a woman. He was a man. She was in the dark. He was in the light. You talk about two polar, different people, and yet Jesus shows us how important it is to cross that line and to make an effort at building a relationship with someone different than him. Let me give you three little thoughts. Number one, I want you to see this was a pattern in the life of Jesus. This is just the way he did. 
Verse 3 in, in John 4 says, He left Judea and departed into Galilee. Jesus goes out of his way for sinners. By the way, somebody ought to say amen right there. That's what happened to you. He came to where you are. Jesus goes out of his way for us, for sinners. You know, I'm so glad he does. And I was thinking about this road to Damascus. This was not a path, according to my study, that Jews normally took. He went out of his way. This was not a convenient road. It was less traveled by Jews. And yet, this is the life Jesus led. If we want to be like him, Jesus built relationships with people. Like Nicodemus in chapter 3. The people at the wedding in chapter 2. And he went all the way to Jordan, stood out there while John was baptizing in chapter 1. Jesus went to the people, often many of them being different than himself. Sadly, here's the way I'd live most of my life. Listen to this and see if it's true of you. I've isolated myself with people that look like me and believe like me. I said Wednesday night, we've built our lives, and I think there's an element of this that's good around the church And if the church resembled the whole body of Christ, it would really be good. But as it stands, sometimes we all look the same. Number one, it was a pattern in Jesus' life. Number two, in verse 4, the Bible says it was a must. He must needs go through Samaria. Listen to me. It is the will of God. Did you see that? He must. It's a must. It's a must to do the will of God. Will it be challenging? Yes. To build a relationship, to listen to other people, and to hear them and to love them. Is it overwhelming? It was to Jesus. He was wearied, the Bible says, with his journey, and not just the heat, and not just the travel, but he was also wearied probably by the brokenness and the disconnect that even his own disciples had. Uh, Somebody that I study after said that, that, just imagine, it's very possible that as the disciples are coming uh, uh, with Jesus, that are, are coming to, back to meet Jesus, that the Samaritan woman was leaving and going back into the city. And if that would have been true, they couldn't share the same road. Who do you think moved? Do you think the disciples at that point were thinking right and full of God? Study the lives of those men. They were still a work in progress. There was very possibly some issues he was struggling with at that moment. But instead, Jesus pursued her anyway. Here's what I'm going to ask you. Do you and I, I know the answer for me, the answer's been no. Do we put ourselves out there enough to be wearied? Do we pursue people? Do we build, do we love people that are different than us? Now look, I know right now some of you are thinking about a bad experience you've had. Black people think about the bad experiences they've had with with, uh, being treated improperly and marginalized by white people. White people are thinking about how a bad experience you have or somebody you know. Can I just tell you something? Don't let one experience mold the rest of your thinking. Let the Word of God direct us on our thinking. It's a must. If we're going to love our neighbors, it's a must. And Jesus did it. Finally, it's a need. Did you see that in verse 4? He must needs go through Samaria. Well, who needed him? Who needed him to build a relationship with someone different than him? Who needed there to be a a dividing of the racial conflict? I'll tell you who. He did. He did. I think he needed it more than, than the Samaritan woman did. Jesus loves this woman. He knows about her before the foundation of the world. He cared about her. He was bound to go that way. He didn't care what the disciples said or anybody else said, what culture says. And by the way, we're talking about changing the culture. 
the thinking of people that you're better than me or I'm better than you, all that's wrong. And when we study the Word of God, there is no teaching on racism. You know why? Because we're one race and one blood and we can trace it all back to Adam. And so when we look and we see this picture, Jesus needed to be there with her. He cared about her. But not only that, she needed him. She needed him to be there. She needed a relationship with him. She was in a mess. Five husbands living in the sixth relationship of immorality. She was in a cycle. Do you see it? And she couldn't find her way out and she needed someone. But it was not just Jesus and it was not just her. How about all the other individuals that come to Jesus? How about the whole city? How about our city? How about communities and churches and the world who needs God's people to come to them and to love them even though they're different? And I can almost hear someone say, but pastor, I'm not Jesus. No, you're not. But if you're saved, Jesus lives in you. And the only way Jesus is going to make his way to people that are different than you is if you take him. (laughs) You say, I just can't do it. No, you can't. You know what? I found something really interesting chapter 1, verse 32. You can look at it or you can just listen and I'll tell you what happened. Jesus, remember, he's a model here. Before he went to face people different than him and to blaze a new trail, the Bible says the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and came upon him. You know what I know about the Bible? I know now the Holy Spirit not only comes upon people, he indwells. When you got saved, the Holy Spirit came to live in you and if you'll ask him to fill you, every day of your life and if I'll ask him to fill me he will open doors for me to love people and to converse with people different than me does that make sense so if I'm not doing it it may be an indication that I'm not filled with the spirit or I either do not know the truth you and I bear Jesus Jesus is our model we want to be like him so what do we have to do number one we have to see others we just have to see them Quit looking in the same place you've been looking. Just look for, come into church, look for somebody different than you. Don't just talk to your same three or four that you speak to. How you doing? Fine. How about you? Fine. But look for opportunities. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but there's a lady in this room. And uh, we come from different backgrounds, different parts of the country. Our pigmentation of our skin's different. And from the very beginning... She pursued a friendship with me. This has all been a part of the process. I know it has. Not just the bishop. Not just the bishop. No, no. But other people in this church pursuing us. Anselmo and and, uh, Gabby were in the service earlier. They had us to their home the other day. Uh, Boy, I'm telling you, if you've never eaten uh, a Latino, they're from Mexico, from uh, a meal in their home. Oh, my goodness. Dorothy, you remember the night you took us to dinner? But we'll never forget it because we know more of you. We know your heart. That relationship that began to ensue. And all I'm telling you is this. A relationship is as simple. You say, Pastor, how are we going to do this? <clears throat> Someone said to me just a couple of weeks ago when I made the statement about preaching this sermon. It was a, a black person in our church. and She's a professional woman. And she said, Pastor, you'll never know what this meant to me for you to address this today. And we started sharing. She shared a little of her story. Tears filled my eyes as tears were in hers. And I will tell you, what happened? Relationships started to happen. That's what happened. I'm getting help. God is using you in our lives. Please, stay with us. Help us. Ask God to help bring about this change in our lives. 
I can almost hear someone say this, but pastor, we don't know how. Well, that's why we got the Bible. That's why Jesus did this story. I'll give you a couple things. We don't know how. Someone said to me not long ago of color, pastor, sometimes when I come to Central, I feel welcome. And sometimes I don't. And I thought, you know, some of us don't know how to speak. We don't know how to look at people with love. If this could, our, we could change by looking at Jesus' pattern and know how to speak and know how to love and know how to build relationships. Well, how do we do that? Well, I've sought counsel from some of our friends here. I've sought counsel from people outside of our fellowship. But I want us to look for the counsel right here. I think Jesus is pretty good at setting us up to do this thing right. So we look at him and the Samaritan woman. How in the world do I build relationships with someone different than me? Number one, you be a friend. Be a friend. Jesus could have walked right by this woman, never seen her. But instead, he pursued her. How how do I become a friend? Let me give you a few ideas that God's put in my heart that I'm getting ready to do. In fact, we're already doing. Number one, he went to her. Uh, Have a meal together. He just got water from her. That's all they had out there. No food around the well. But what was there, he asked for some of it. Now, don't go and ask Doretha, can we go home with you and eat today, Doretha? Uh, Zamani, can we, can we, it'd be all right to come and hang out with you. <laughs> I mean, don't jump to, to our families. Uh, but I want to have a meal, Vonda and guys. I want, I want to do those things, break bread together at our home, at a restaurant, you say, well, I'm not in a position to entertain. Well, then there are other ways. Listen to this. Go to a sporting event together. Some of our families have built relationships by sitting, watching their kids play or whatever else. Listen to this. Join a, a ministry. There's always room for places for you to serve. Join a ministry. You know what? Uh, y'all know, know Kelvin and Norma, uh, not young in our church. Boy, they are so precious. But you know what? you know why it was easy for them to come to Central as the Lord was leading them? They came because they live in the community. She works with us in the office now. They had a relationship with um, Laura. She was here in the attic. There you are, right over there. And Laura and, and uh, Mark and the Godwins. And they had a relationship with Kevin and April. And their three families still hang out and do things together. Do you think that didn't open up an understanding for both the Godwins and the Royals and the Youngs? It made it easy for them to make that transition. Why? Because of relationship. Be a friend. Volunteer. Rodney, get ready. Here's an amen place for you. Volunteer at PAL. He's so quiet. You're going to say, amen. Can I say that Police Athletic League, which is a great ministry um, in our city, led by one of our own men sitting right back there, is a bridge-building process that God used to help bring about a change in our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Take a, a meal to someone. So well, I'm not ready for that. For the, well, then take a meal to someone. Sit on the porch. Six feet away, but sit on the porch. Invite them for coffee. Ask God to bring someone into your life. It, look, if you want to do what Jesus said, be a friend to build a relationship with someone different. Number two, ask good questions. Did you notice the questions asked here? Do you, look at who asked the first question. Jesus did. He said, can I have a drink? And, and I can only imagine. She had lots of questions. She's getting ready to un, unleash them. Questions about worship. Questions about water. Questions about the future. 
She's got all kinds of questions. Questions about getting out of the hole she's in. And all of this is going on. She would probably never have asked any question had Jesus not taken the lead. But then she just pours out the questions. I was thinking, she was probably thinking to herself, he's polite to me. He's interested in me. And the more questions that were asked, as the doors were opened for this relationship, they saw each other's hearts. That's happened. That's happening. Do you see it? Be a friend. Ask good questions. Number three, remember that the gospel is the purpose. I'm closing. The big picture is the gospel. Remember that the gospel is the purpose. What do you mean, pastor? Well, let's look at our Bibles just for a moment. After she finds Jesus... And she builds a relationship with him, and she gets that living water springing up in her heart. And I told the guys the other day, you know the difference between a well and a spring, don't you? If you've got a well on your property, and you want to go back there and fill in that thing, you can fill it all up, and you can level it off with the dirt, and you'll never see no more of it, any evidence of it again. Anybody ever had a spring on your property? Raise your hand if you've ever had a spring. Two or three of you do. Have you ever tried to fill up a spring? You try to cover over a spring, you bring a truckload of dirt in there and fill on that spring, and a few days later, watch this. Bubble, bubble, bubble starts coming up through there. You can't fill up a spring. You see, when you get Jesus, listen to me, it may be that some of us are lost. I know I have to deal with my sin because the Spirit of God is convicting me and that living water in me is bubbling up and it keeps bubbling. She gets that bubbling water. She's got to do something with it. She runs into town. She tells the men. They come out and then it doesn't stop there. He ends up, revival breaks out in the whole region because people are getting saved. The the city's being changed. And what a testimony. What a testimony would it be for you to step out of your little isolated world or my little isolated world. I'm doing this. I intend to do it. I want you to make me accountable on it. To show a lost world that Jesus Christ is worth it. That he's enough. That he's real. He's alive in us. And in this relationship, God was so honored that revival broke out in the city of Samaria. And a harvest happened. You know what I'm asking God for? You know what the vision of our church is? To be Daniels in a Babylon world. You remember local hands? You saw a lot of that on the video. But if we're going global too, it's going to mean an expansion and all this has to be made right. So what happened? They believed on him. They wanted him. They said, stay with us a little while longer. And then a movement began. So let me close. Crossing the racial divide. It's a choice you'll make or not. But I can already tell you, some of us made up our mind. If Jesus wants us to do it, we're doing it. And he does. And we will. Just for the record, I'll know who you are. You're not better than anybody else. And nobody else is better than you. Jesus is the one that's good. We're a mess. But Jesus is good. Here's my confessions. By the way, you know the difference between confession and repentance? Confession is just declaring it. Repentance is turning from it and there being change. Here's my confession. Number one, I am a sinner. Can you say that Don't in your heart? I am a sinner. I'm a saved sinner. I'm a redeemed sinner, but I'm still a sinner. Number two, If prejudice is prejudging before you know someone, I've shown prejudice and bias. 
Number three, by my own choice, I've been ignorant and uninformed of the journey that my brothers and sisters have gone. Now, before I go any further, I'm going to tell you right now, I've looked at every link, every video some of you sent me, some to, to straighten me out. Some were as far left as you can imagine. Others were as far right. There's as many different views. Please put your views aside. Put your thoughts and your historical studies because somebody wrote those histories. And different people are as skewed on that as they are any other issue. They will divide us. Take the Bible and what we've talked about this morning and choose to obey God Almighty. I don't want any more information. I want inspiration from God on the steps to take. I've been uninformed of the journey my brothers and sisters have taken. Number four, I have not pursued deep relationships with people that are different than me. God forgive me. Number Number five, I've been insensitive with words, deeds, and responses. I've asked God to forgive me. I'm in the process of repenting. I'm asking you to forgive me. If you've ever heard me make a slur or an innuendo, that was not of God and it's wrong. And God's forgiven me. I'm asking you to. Let's stand with our heads bowed. I don't know. Maybe I'm the worst sinner in these areas. Maybe there are others that God is speaking to. Or it may take a while for us to really hear God speak in this. But if you're convicted this morning as I am, I'm going to invite you to join me in this altar. Pastor Cameron's going to come in a moment, close the service. Tonight's an important night. Opportunity to love people, see people, and put into action what we're talking about. Father, open the hearts of my brothers and sisters, all of us. Teach us and change us. Make us more like you. I need you, God. I believe my friends do too. Draw us. If there's folks here lost, save them. But for we who are believers, Lord, change us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, Pastor.